Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Tales podcast, the show where we talk about Texas history and enjoy ourselves a cocktail or two. I'm Ryan. And this is Tracy. Why don't you pour yourself a drink and join us for what we're sure will be a stimulating, partially factual Tales About Texas. I probably should have gotten a refill. You want to go there real quick? Well, that's a big jump. It is a big jump. It's a commitment for sure. Maybe I save it. Okay. I think I'm going to, this will get me through this one and then I'll go get uh, a refill. I'll change it to a whiskey drink. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a commitment. So, um, I want to take a couple minutes to thank an organization that I appreciate more than they probably know. And I want to give them a shout out. On our podcast here. Okay. It is the Texas State Historical Association. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, if you haven't been to it, Google it. Um, it's T-S-H-A maybe.org. Uh, they have a handbook of Texas. And um, if you're looking for factual Texas information, like I live on it. Yeah, they do a really good job of, of breaking down what seems like every event that's ever taken place. I can't. It, it feels like you can search on there for towns, events, people, and they're always coming out with like the most popular items or what's hot right now, I guess. Um, you can go and look at like music and artists. You can look at like uh, political figures. Like you can look at so many different things out there and they've just got, it's a world of information. It's obviously um, a public organization. So they're always looking for, you know, donations and things like that. But I really think like we've done enough of these now and like this is the first uh, this is where I go to to turn for all my research. Yeah. And then I might go outside of this a little bit to like get more details or look at alternative pictures and things so I can kind of get my mind around what the subject we're talking about. But uh, this it is definitely a kind of a one-stop shop for it. And I'd recommend, um, by the way, if you're a Texas historian, you probably know about it. So you're like, duh. But if you're just kind of an enthusiast and, and want a site that's very reputable and has tons of content out there on probably just any subject you could imagine around Texas history, it's a great one. Yeah, I really like it too. I think that it's cool because, uh, you know, as you're going through whatever story it is that you're reading on there, they will have like call out links. So like they'll reference a name or a, or a place Yep. and you can jump, you can click that, that link that reference and it'll take you to whatever else oh yeah what other story that person or that place is involved in it's got supporting books and all sorts of things out there for if you want to really kind of like i always say double click into it a little bit and kind of find out more information um if it doesn't have it i'm not sure that existed from a texas standpoint i mean it really is that uh comprehensive so um anyways uh texas state historical association it's the handbook of texas um it's all online i think you can probably order some hard copies, but I think generally it's updated regularly and it's a great source of information. Yeah, it's a cool site. So moving into today's topic. So you and I growing up, our mother spoke about a cousin that she had Mm -hmm. that lived up in Lubbock. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What was his name? Old Tommy Hancock. Old Tommy Hancock. So Tommy Hancock is was an artist in Lubbock. Um, and for those of y'all who, you know, from Lubbock, aware of Lubbock, you know that it's kind of a hotbed for a couple things. Cotton. Sure. Ag- you know, agriculture and cattle. Yeah. 
and and artists. Yeah. So there's a lot of country artists that come out of Lubbock, have spent time in Lubbock, whether it's they were born there, went to college at Texas Tech, so on and so forth. Um, Tommy's one that kind of grew up in that area um, with his family and was pretty well known kind of in that 40s and 50s in Lubbock for, for being an artist up there. And our mom always referred to him as Cousin Tommy, and I really had no clue who he was. Right. I just knew that at one point he owned or ran the Cotton Club there. Yep. And she talked about going there as a child and how like uh, awesome it was to kind of be a part of all of that. Yep. And I kind of always had been like, ah, Cotton Club, I don't know what the heck that is, mm-hmm. right? Um, it wasn't until I got a little bit older, went to school there, and then a little bit older kind of started to understand kind of what it was and kind of from a historical standpoint what it meant to the city. Mm-hmm. And so I thought today we'd talk about the Cotton Club a little bit. Yeah, I love it. I love Just break it down yeah. and maybe talk a little bit about some of the artists that came through there. There's some amazing artists that have played there. And you wouldn't have suspected that really. No, or I no. didn't. Yeah, so Lubbock's a really interesting story to me because um, you wouldn't expect it to be a music scene, but it absolutely was. And I think in large part because of the Cotton Club. Yeah. Um, you know, back then, and I mean, I guess also the truth could be said now, Lubbock's an island, man. I mean, it's it's out there, yeah. and you're right. They have a lot of cotton, and they have a lot of you know agriculture. Uh, they got that for days. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine back in the day, especially, uh, it would be the place where all of these farmers and farmers' kids would come to town, and they would let loose. And if there's a place for them to do it, then even better. And I think that the Cotton Club kind of served that purpose. Lubbock, to your point, it's a, and it's also a weird dynamic. So yeah. you do have a small population there of a lot of money, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. it's the bankers and those folks that you normally think. Then you've got a, a bigger population of folks that have pretty good money, and they're like farmers. Yeah. Like they're those, uh, you know, today, I always say it's the million-dollar guy next door, or maybe not the $10 million guy next door, but it's the people you don't really suspect that do have a lot of right. expendable money and, and um, um, available to them. But then you also have just kind of the middle class folks there, the lower class folks there. But then you have this influx of college students that are there, mm-hmm. right? And the college students are coming in from these big towns to go to school there. They're coming in with disposable income, right? Right? Mom and dad's disposable income, but still disposable income. And it's just a weird kind of mix of individuals living together in this, you know, very small city now, right? Yeah. At this point, I'd probably call it, when we're talking about the 40s and 50s, it was a town. Right. Texas Tech is obviously not the Texas Tech we're thinking of, but you still had college students. Yep. You still had the very rich and you still had these farmers all kind of intermingling together. And that's kind of where we are. And so with the, what was built was essentially is there was a gentleman who wanted to build a dance hall there, um, but he wanted it to be geared towards the upper class. Okay. So think about more like a big band type of place, okay. right? So yeah. you have the big band, you're bringing in the socialites from Lubbock. The challenge that he had was, is that, so he's bringing these big local bands, but the facility had seat like 1400 people and there weren't enough socialites and rich folks in Lubbock to want to come see these big bands to yeah. fill, to fill the place up. Um, at the time he had, uh, he had um, some of the biggest bands of the day that he'd actually bring in. Uh, I don't get the feeling a lot of them were from Lubbock, but he definitely had some local Lubbock folks, but then he had a lot of folks that were traveling in as well. Just from a location standpoint, um, the original Cotton Club, if you are driving in like Slayton Highway coming in from south, you're coming in from Houston, Dallas, wherever you're coming in from, everyone takes that highway in. Um, it was kind of where it's where the loop is today on 50th Street, but on the far southeast side of the loop. 
Got it. So literally you're coming in, it's just a mile or two around the loop to the right from right. where you are. So yeah. a little bit of um, um, geography there for you. So if you have that context, that's where the original place was. It was, um, it had, and I think one of the things that was interesting, because like I've heard about the Cotton Club before um, this, but it was always associated with the Cotton Club, which was very famous in Harlem. Oh, right. In New York. Yeah. Yeah. So Not no, obviously no connection. <laughs> the Cotton Club in Harlem was totally associated with a different type of situation. The Cotton Club in Lubbock was obviously just tied to the fact that cotton was the biggest industry there, yep. and he was bringing in the locals to, to it's be a great day. It's a wonderful day. It's a great there, day. And their logo, by the way, is legit. Is legit. It is a Love very, it. very, very cool um, logo. Yeah. So this big dance hall, they did a lot of things. They hosted like the Junior League there, charity balls. They had some of Lubbock's, Lubbock's finest there. It was it? It was it was noted even in the '40s and well, say '40s as one of the first integrated dance halls in the state of Texas. Yeah, that that part to me, uh, I love. I love the fact that that's um, that it was. You know, it wasn't a segregated. It basically opened the doors to anybody and everybody, especially at that time. That's unheard of. And like in a small town in Texas, I guess, you know, it's sad, but you wouldn't expect that. But that's that's amazing. And it really, it says a lot about the club and the owners at the time. And it, and it, um, no one ever called Lubbock and Progressive yeah, in the same sentence. Right. You wouldn't right. expect it. And yeah. it's, it's fabulous. It's, it's great. I yeah. love that. So what ended up happening in the 40s were the owner at the time basically realized that there was absolutely no way for him to run a profitable business by just focusing on the high society of Lubbock. Right? Right. So at this time, country and Western really started to pick up. And so what he started doing was not just having the high society there, not just having the big bands there, but on alternate nights, he would also bring in some of the more prevalent up and coming country and Western singers. Yeah. And so they would come there. And so that and, and it wasn't just country and western singers too, because as you start going from those forties into the fifties, rock and roll really gets on the scene. Starts taking over. Yeah. yeah, and so he really has this strange mix of nights. So you, he's playing to all the different audiences. Mm -hmm. What he ended up finding, we'll get into some of the folks that he brought in, kind of teasing with that earlier, is that uh, if you came one night for a big band, you might also come the next night to see a country and western singer. And then you might come the next day to see a rock and roll singer, right? And it was that variety of music that you were getting that I can't imagine was normal to Lubbock. Well, think about it. I mean, how many entertainment opportunities do you think you had in the 40s and 50s in Lubbock? Right. I mean, if you want to go out, you probably only have a handful of places, if not just the coffee club, yeah. to actually go out and cut a rug or just have a good time or take a date or whatever the case may be. So... I'm going to the Cotton Club. I don't care if it's country, rock and roll, whatever, swing well, music. Also, the owner had the ability to bring in these big names. And I think that was another part of it, too. So this was before a lot of people traveled. And if they, uh, sorry, before artists went and traveled mm -hmm. to a lot of different places. And if they were, they definitely, probably Lubbock wasn't one of the big stops that was going to be on their on their list, yeah. right, of their yeah. tour uh, dates. So some of the folks that um, they had in, Elvis Presley and in, in 1955, hit it more than half a dozen times. That's amazing. So that was like young Elvis Presley on his time up. The girls were going crazy at this time. He was all on the radio. And he stopped into the Cotton Club at least a half a dozen times in a single year. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest act of the time. And he's... And he's in the Cotton Club a dozen times, or whatever the case may be. So you know who else is kicking around the Cotton Club? 
not famous at all. The son of Lubbock himself, Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. I was so, say Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Didn't want to steal your thunder. No, I, it, I, it, I was going to guess. Yeah, Buddy it was Holly. pretty easy guess yeah, if, you, if you're, but, if you're okay. familiar with Lubbock at all. Well, I feel good that I at least had that little So Buddy Holly was a nobody around Lubbock. He was kind of like I said, kicking around. Cotton Club he was playing here and there. He was always at the Cotton Club. He actually formed a friendship with Elvis Presley while Elvis would come in and do that, and he'd spend time like singing with him and like. You know, learning a lot from him, and actually, he said he owes his time at the cot. He said that he owed his time at the Cotton Club really for his relationship, but really his style of music. Like yeah. Elvis, really changed how Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly went from kind of a West Texas singer, more rooted in country and slow songs, to really the Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley like person Dude. that that ultimately got him really famous. Yeah, I think that Elvis did that to a lot of artists. Right, once they were introduced to Elvis and, and his music, I think that really uh, rubbed off on a lot of artists and kind of shaped their music from then on. So I'm not surprised by that at all. I was going to say I do. I am curious. Uh, I feel like there were some artists, and they might have taken it upon themselves, or whatever the case may be. But I feel like there was some type of traveling. Um, just trying to get the word out as best they could, right? And they, I feel like they carpooled and did stuff together to try and, you know, put on these shows as kind of like a group. These young guys that were trying to get known, they were putting on concerts in high schools and yeah. local, you know, you know, local halls, whatever yeah. it is, much like probably the Cotton Club, right? And trying to kind of buy them together, pull in an audience with their three or four names that were so big. Yeah. So I wonder if, if in the course of a, I don't know if they would do like a cross country type of thing, or if maybe it was more regional. But you know, I mean, Lubbock's considered the hub city. Yep. I mean, it is kind of like a strategic point as far as interstates go. So maybe it was just kind of a natural pass through. And like we've mentioned before, Lubbock is an island. I mean, it is in the middle of nowhere. So if you're traveling, you're probably going to stop and love it and rest your, your legs or, or stretch your legs at least um, and stay the night or whatever the case may be. And if you're going to do that, you might as well do a show. Yep. You know? So maybe that's what they were doing and that's why there were so many shows. And it just worked out really well for the Cotton Club. So also in the 50s, you had Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys. Love Bob Wills. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but then showing the diversity again. More than one time, they had Little Richard that played there. <laughs> they had Fats Domino that played there. And they had Roy Orbison. Like That's they cool. were, it was just really a hodgepodge of very famous people that, that stopped in there and played. I bet those are some fun shows. I bet you they were unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, so around 1962, the club mysteriously burned. Hmm. For those of you who can't see me, I'm doing air quotes. Um, I can't imagine. I, by the way, this is a total conspiracy. I have no idea. But every time I think of something burning, it's got to be like a Will a Gillies down yeah. in Pasadena for the insurance money. Yeah. So, so maybe the club was like not doing as well. Anyways, it burned for whatever. Well, reason. you know, sixties. I mean, you probably have gone past that 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 golden era of rock and roll, right? And, and maybe you uh, you're hurting a little bit to your point. So Ralph Lowe, the owner, decides not to rebuild. And now enters into the equation, cousin Tommy Hancock. Tommy Hancock. Yep, Tommy and Charlene Condre Hancock. And they were both well-known uh, musicians in the Lubbock area. And what they essentially wanted to do was they felt like with their network, with the people they knew, that they had the ability to reopen the Cotton Club. So they went to, um, to Ralph and they said, hey, the only thing we need is your permission to use the name and the sign. Ralph's over there counting his insurance money. He's That's like, it. He's like, hey, do whatever you want to do. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. 
right? So that kick-ass sign that we talked about, they wanted the sign because that was like infamous with that. The logo is so cool. Yeah. yeah. So the, they wanted the sign. They wanted the name. They said no problem. So now what they did was they actually moved down Slayton Highway. So they're about 14 miles from downtown now, down around Slayton Highway. By the way, I think I'm right on this. Are they south? Like they're outside south. of town? Like yeah. So it's as you're coming in town again. Gotcha. They're on the left-hand side. Okay. There is a um, building there today. It's painted all sorts of crazy colors. It says the Cotton Club. I think that's generally the location. I'm not saying it's the exact building. I'm not saying that um, it was opened up later on again. We'll get to that in a little bit. But it was opened up in the 2000s to be kind of an event hall and and all that, kind of celebrating the heritage of the Cotton Club. Very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. So Tommy and his wife kind of take it over. Um, As I mentioned before, one of the things that they have going on for them is that they have a big network. So they opened up in 1965. So they're doing really well. Now what happens, though, is it's a very interesting crowd. So at Tech and everywhere else around, there's kind of this hippie. Yeah, this movement. There's a movement of hippies now, right? So again, everything has changed. Music has changed. Everything has changed. One of the things that I had read is someone who had actually visited the club said it was back before when Ralph owned it, it was kind of a rough place. So you had these rock and roll guys, bikers and all this stuff. And then you had these farming guys and country guys. And you had these, you know more of the upper class guys, they'd get in the room and it would just, it got to be a, a fight. Well, I mean, I have to imagine Lubbock itself at that time was probably a rough place. Yeah, I would imagine. It's those people, I mean, it's, you have interesting dynamics across the board in that, in that city, yes. in that town. So yeah, you put them in a room with some damn good music and some alcohol and you're going to have some fireworks. So now... The new cotton clubs opened up. You've got hippies. Now you've got bikers and you've got country guys and other folks. It sounds like going there. Hank Williams. It does. But one of the things they said is that Tommy and the way that he conducted himself and kind of the vibe and the culture of the place, there were very few fights going forward. And it really had to do with the ownership and the way that like people actually treat each other. So they said like, it was a much more safe, fun place to be. Oh, cool. And still, you had a very wide variety of music that you could kind of go listen to. Wow. Yeah. So, it's kind of interesting to hear about that. That's interesting to know, too, because I guess you don't really think about that. But like leadership, right? The energy that's, that's being displayed by leadership, yeah. and, you know, in this case, in Tommy, uh, it kind of is felt throughout the, the premises, through the staff, through the, the clientele. <laughs> Yeah, what he's, one of the things he was saying, one of the things that he said was he was really just searching for a place that had kind of a peaceful coexistence with yeah. each other, right? Yeah. I kind of got the feeling Tommy was kind of that guy, which is, let's just all get along. Right. It's okay. We're here music. He might have been a little hippie-ish himself or yeah. a little, you know, out there. But that's that's kind of the feeling I always got was that he wanted generally for people to get along. They all should be able to kind of work in the same space. Well, I think, like, to your point, you were saying that he was a pretty well-known musician in the area. So... I think that probably, you know, helps your reputation. People know you. You've been around. You probably have a lot of uh, connections. And the people that are going there, I'm assuming, all are are there for the music and there to have a good time generally. And so, yeah, it lends itself to a a different type of atmosphere. So kind of that new country was kind of going by the wayside. To your point, rock and roll was kind of going by the wayside. And so now we're kind of in the 70s, I guess. So we kind of advanced in the 70s. And he started booking folks like he had folks like Waylon Jennings and uh, the Main Brothers. So if you know the Mains, obviously a huge Texas name, right? 
Bob Wills and those folks were kind of long gone. He had Hank Williams, Waylon Jennings, all those folks were coming in and out, kind of replacing some of those older folks that had been coming for a while. Yeah. And now it's this new birth of this kind of rowdy Texas country, Love right? Yeah. And so he kind of played in on that and he knew those folks. So yeah. they were part of the whole Texas music of that era, that movement, that movement. And, and he knew him and he brought him up there. And, and um, so the club did really, really well. I think about Stevie Ray Vaughan in your club. That'd be amazing. Unbelievable. Dude, Bob Wills, I think, would be amazing, yeah. too. I mean, Waylon Jennings, um, Joe Ely, I think, was, a, was one of the guys that played Well, there. so that's what I was going to tell you. So in 1978, he ended up selling the club. Yeah, he sold it to Joe Ely okay. and yep. to C.B. Stubblefield. Now, they couldn't really do much with it. So they only had it for a couple more years, and they ended up shutting it down. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, what another cool name. There's just more people that you see kind of all tied together around the cotton. There's a lot of music royalty, not only from Texas, but nationwide, that has roots in the cotton club. Um, and prior to that, the first... Uh, Roy, was mm -hmm. it? That, yep. that the first time? Amazing. I yep. mean, the acts that he was able to bring in that were national acts from the Cotton Club. Big time acts. That in itself is really cool to me. But also the acts that were playing at the Cotton Club when Tommy was owning it, um, that was really, I think you mentioned this, that was kind of the birth of the Texas country, kind of like uh, elders, mm -hmm. right? I mean, these guys were paving the road for what we know today, I mean, there's a lot of guys today that look up to those musicians, right? So it's amazing to think that there are these young guys that are that are making their name and cutting. Well, you had Bob Wills and that kind of generation, yeah. and then you're having them replaced or you know being sought out more by folks like Hank Williams and Willie and these guys that are all coming in and playing. Yeah. Like that's amazing. So literally, just they're just working through the generations of getting folks there, right? Um, and they said at one point there probably wasn't a Texas singer that didn't go to the Cotton Club during that era and try to get on stage and play. Like they so wanted, cool. they wanted to be able to do it. Yeah, so. so in 1982, it ended up closing for the last time. And that's that's kind of where we take to the end of the story on this one. No one really wanted to pick it up. The times had changed. No one really had an answer for how to keep bringing folks in. There was a lot more opportunities and love to go to different places, and it yep. just it was just hard to keep people coming in um, during that time. Uh, as I had mentioned, they have reopened, so they're open even to this day, I believe. Last yep. time I checked, um, to do events and things like that. Well, it's tough. It seems like it'd be tough to be 14 miles outside of town yeah. and get. I mean, you really you. It's tough. I can't imagine getting college kids or... or I also wonder, I mean, you know, for the longest time, I didn't research this, but Lubbock was dry. Right. So I wonder how much of that oh, was... I, I wonder how much of that getting out of town was getting out of town. 100%. Right. And so you had to go further out. Mm -hmm. Further out's not convenient. Not convenient at all. Right. And so you really got to be bringing acts in and have a reason to go that far out of town. Yeah. I mean, I was there in college. It was dry. And we'd go out of town just because we could drink somewhere right right but at the same time it was a commitment to going out there right so um, a couple things too before we close out one of the things that we had talked about at the top of the show was how many just folks have come through there and so i was going through kind of an old like alumni website of like all the different musicians there's actually so many on this but i don't know them so i'm not going to mention them all mm -hmm. but the ones that really hit me and if i'll stick mostly to the uh, country it is mostly country that are on here but you look like wade bowen yeah. John Denver. Oh. Um, the Gatlin brothers. Okay. So both the Gatlin brothers were there. Yep. Pat Green. Sure. Um, Bob Livingston, Lloyd Maines, Natalie Maines, Mark David Manders from our previous episode, Corey Morrow, 
Yeah. So there's a lot of them, right? Yeah, and so they and, and most of these folks, I don't believe were born there. I think they went to school there, but yeah. you know, in, in Lubbock. But it really is a hotbed given the size of Lubbock and the number of students that are there. It just produces a lot of a lot of country music stars. Yeah, I mean, really, it's it's always intrigued me why Lubbock was such a music scene. I don't think there's any reason for it. I the, my only thing is this: I think there's not much to do, and if you go to school in Lubbock, you're going to say yes. There's plenty to do. Right. Um, it's a small town, right? Yeah. So there's still not much to do. I think a lot of times people just sitting around picking the guitar and like singing and with friends and having a good time, and and they realize that there is this connection with historical Lubbock and the people that went through there, and you can make it if you go to school at Tech. Right. And I think that they like they glam onto that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a it's a really cool story, man. I I've always loved the Cotton Club, uh, the history of it, and the acts that they've had, and uh, I think it's it, to me it's always been a shame that it kind of fizzled out and, and lost its steam. Uh, I think that's probably just what happens to a lot of places. But the roots, like I said earlier, man, that, that were so uh, ingrained in the Cotton Club for a lot of young uh, up-and-coming acts and even national acts. I mean, it's it's a it's a real, to me, it's a landmark and it, it should be recognized Absolutely. In, in the area. Absolutely. Sure. All right. So this episode was a nod to our mom. Yeah. And Uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy. Yeah. Cheers absolutely. to you, brother. Cheers. All right, friends, that's going to do it for this episode of the Texas Tales podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. If you'd like to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at TXTalesPodcast, or you can visit our online store at www.independencetrailretail.com for all things Texas swag. I'm Ryan, and that's Tracy. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.